0: pastor is actually cheerleading at a race today. Uh, He was going to be in the Spartan race, but a shoulder injury uh, made it so he wasn't able to be here this week. So I get to preach. And before I get going, I'd like to open in a word of prayer. Uh, Let's bring ourselves before God. Father, thank you that we can be here. Thank you Thank you for the mothers that brought us into this world. Thank you uh, thank you for the families that you've chosen to put us in. And thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be in your family. Thank you for that amazing grace that, that you've given to us. And as we look at your word today, may we understand more about what your grace means for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, last week... I found out that I was preaching, and talking to pastor, we decided that I'd just try to cover the next topic in the sermon series that we've been going through, which is Amazing Grace. He then proceeded to remind me, oh yeah, by the way, it's Mother's Day. Tag, you're it. Well, okay, that's fine, that's great, because actually Mother's Day goes perfectly with what we're going to be talking about today. And actually what we're going to be talking about today is the enemy of grace now just stay with me stay with me you'll see where i'm going with this the enemy of grace is legalism and this is how i'm defining it legalism is the attempt to keep god's laws in order to earn one's salvation or in order to keep your salvation see legalism is not just about following the rules It's about more than that. I'm actually trying to earn God's grace. Now, I said this went along with Mother's Day. And so let me explain. Uh, I've said it before, but in my life, I have counted it a blessing to to have two mothers growing up. And now I'm married, so now I guess I have three. (laughs) Um, If you haven't met my mom... Marla. You should meet her. She's amazing. Um, Not all of this is from being married for a few years. (laughs) Uh, And then I have my other mom, which is Renee. Now, I want to talk about Renee first, and actually my relationship with the entire Anderson family. And what I'm going to say, a lot of people in this church can relate to. They've been a the Andersons have been a second home for for many people, for for many kids over the years. And I'm not putting them on a pedestal. It's just that's who they are. And you know, we've done lots of things together. You know, I've I've called you mom. We've I've slept over at your house. We've gone to retreats and road trips. And I even worked for Brooke for a while. And you know, we've we're good friends and. I figure by this point, Brooke, you've you've already written me into your will, right? <laughs> uh, come on. And, and like like, you know, at least a share of the company. Jake, Jake is not done. <laughs> oh. Brooke, that's not fair. No, the, that's that's not fair. You know, I've I've done all this work for you. I, you know, I I call your wife mom. You know, I'm. Come on. You know, when you think about it, in some ways, I'm better than your own kids. <laughs> Hannah, Hannah, I know for a fact that I can put bales of insulation into that insulation machine better than you can. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, shouldn't shouldn't I get something for it? You already did. I already made it. <laughs> More than your word. <laughs> 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 All right. All right. I got paid. I got paid. See where I'm going with this? It doesn't matter how many good things I do. It doesn't matter how close I get to the Anderson family. It doesn't matter how much work I have done for Brooke and for J&B Contracting. My relationship with the Andersons is fundamentally different than my relationship with my own parents. You know, we may be good friends. I may have, you know, talked to Brooke and I may have worked for Brooke. But that at the end, the work that I did for Brooke, I got paid for. But that inheritance, what goes to his children, even, even things that I, you know, working for J&B Contracting, you can say I worked to build that business. But it's not for me. Because I'm hired. I'm not part of the family. That's for his kids. And, you know, that's why I'm thankful that I have my mother. Now, Mom, I just want to say this. I am proud to be your son. And I don't, I will never have any idea about the pains that it took to bring me into the world. I'm sure one of these days I'm going to understand some of the pains it took to keep me here. But (laughs) um, I'm I'm thankful that God chose you and nobody else to be my mother. Now, I was thinking back over Mother's Day, Mother's Day things that have happened over the years. And when I was in preschool, uh, we made some cards for our mothers. And in these cards, there were tickets, coupons for for things that we would be willing to do for our mothers. You know, stuff like setting the table and cleaning the room and you know not talking back for a day and that that kind of stuff. And I don't know what happened to them. I'm pretty sure mom's hanging on to those for <laughs> or when she really needs them. But, you know, let's say that I I go in and I am supposed to set the table. Well, I set the table, but The silverware is crooked, and the glass is on the wrong side, and maybe a couple of the plates are dirty. I failed at that task. Does failing at that task mean that I'm no longer her son? Absolutely not. Because my relationship with my parents, whether I'm a good son or a bad son, is not based on my works. And now, as we think about that, now let us, let's look at God. In, in the Bible, we are given several pictures of who God is and what He looks like. The first one that we're going to look at really quick, um, we're actually just going to read through these, and these are pictures of God. Isaiah chapter six, verse one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. You know, this is who God is. He's big. He's huge. He's the boss. Now we're going to flip all the way to the back of the Bible. Um, This passage is talking about Jesus Christ as he's coming back. And we are just going to read through it. It's Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. Um, And I have all the scripture up on the screen for you, uh, but if you'd like to grab your Bibles and follow along, I'd highly encourage it. Uh, There should be Bibles in the pew in front of you. Now, and this is John talking, uh, seeing seeing a, a vision of Christ as he's going to be coming back. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. By seeing, by seeing these pictures of God, we need to understand who he is. This is who he is. He's big. He's all-powerful. He's almighty. He's the creator and the sustainer and controller of all creation. This is who God is. This is the God that we get to come to. And you know what? Sometimes it's easy to think about God like this. He's big. He's powerful. He is the boss. But now take a step back and realize that this is not how God wants to deal with you. Think about that. God, who is in control who has made everything, who sustains everything, who is the controller of everything, doesn't want to deal with you as a servant with a master. Um, Now I, I think about this and I think about the people of Israel. I think about the people of Israel because they were chosen as God's people. And they knew the law. The law was given to them. They spent their entire life memorizing it and trying to keep it. So they understood, you know, he's king of kings. He's lord of lords. He is the boss. The problem is there's something that they didn't get. This is what they didn't get. God's plan was always to take the people of God, the chosen nation, and bring them into the family of God. As we look in the book of Matthew, chapter 23, verse 37, I want you to listen to the emotion that is in Jesus' voice as he is talking about Israel. He's talking about Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Even though, whoops, even though God is king, He is boss, that is not how He wants to deal with us, and that's not how He wanted to deal with Israel. Um, the difference between Israel's relationship with God and our relationship with God is so different. So radical that the only way it can be described as being is being born again. Uh, let 's look at John chapter three verse fourteen through nineteen now this is this is Jesus talking to a person named Nicodemus now. Nicodemus was probably one of the primary teachers of Israel during the day. Um, this is a guy who would have known the law, and so what Jesus is referencing to referencing isn't lost to him. But Jesus is is using a story, is using an account from the Old Testament in order to make Nicodemus realize. This is what grace is. Starting in chapter, verse, uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 14, And even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Okay, serpent in the wilderness, it might be lost to us, but it wouldn't have been lost to, to Nicodemus. As the children of Israel were going through the desert, they grumbled against God. They complained. And God sent fiery serpents among them, uh, possibly snakes, we're not quite sure, but they would bite the people and the people would become sick and die. And God told Moses, Moses, I want you to take and you make a bronze serpent, put it up on a pole in, in the camp, and if people will just look at this bronze serpent that you have placed on this pole, they're going to be healed. Um, if they looked, if they believed what God said and looked to the serpent, to that, to that serpent on the pole, they were healed. They were saved. Now, don't miss it. This is exactly the same kind of faith that we need to have when we're coming to Jesus Christ. Continuing on. Well, let's read that again so we get it in context. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is amazing grace. It's not anything that we did it's god putting his son on the cross dying for us so we can be saved and now the verse that the verse that we all know for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God is boss. But that's not the way He wants to deal with you. He wants to deal with you as a family member. How does He do that? He purchases you through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to prove to you that this is how God wants to deal with you, so we're going to continue on. Verses 17 to 19. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Now you think about that. He's saying, you know, I didn't send my son to condemn the world. I don't want to deal with you really, as you deserve. I don't want to give you what you earned. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned. It's a position that you're placed in. You believe in the work that Jesus Christ has done. You believe believe that God has set him on that cross as the sacrifice for sin and then raised him from the dead three days later, if you believe that, then you do not stand condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. God doesn't want to condemn you, He wants you as a part of the family. But how are we condemned? How do we earn this condemnation? We do it by ignoring the light of Jesus Christ in favor of our own deeds, in favor of the darkness of our own deeds. It would be like Brooke offering me a position in his family and with that, a part of his inheritance And me saying, no, I'd rather work for you. I'd rather just get paid. You know, I think we're okay. I think our relationship's okay as it is. Don't worry about it. Um, When we choose our own deeds over the amazing grace that is offered by Jesus Christ, we choose God as a boss rather than a father. Or, maybe to put it another way, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's just that simple. On the one hand, you have a wage. Um, And on the other hand, you have God's free gift, of salvation, his free gift of grace. Now, as I was preparing my sermon, I already had it all written out and asked Pastor about some things, and he said, Hey, John, that next passage that you're you're looking at, I've covered it before. Well, that's good. Actually, a couple of weeks ago. But we need to look at it because I want us to understand the magnitude of, of our position in Christ. We're going to go back to Ephesians chapter 2. And I picked this because Romans talks a lot about the difference between works and grace, but this is probably the simplest passage that, that I could find the easiest for us to understand. Uh, basically, Romans was was written... For a lawyer, and Ephesians was written for me. So, (laughs) Um, Ephesians chapter two, verse four. Uh, He's just gotten got done talking about how bad we are, and how we deserved the wrath that is coming on us. Ephesians chapter two, verse four. But God, who is rich in mercy. Okay, this is how He wants to deal with us. With with mercy. Because of the great love with which He loved us. Okay, this is why He wants to deal with you. This is why He wants to have mercy on you. Because He loves you. Because He loves me. Because He loves us. Think about that. God, who is boss who can create and recreate the world any way he sees fit, chooses through his mercy to love us. He loves you. That's why he wants to deal with you in this way. That's why he wants you as part of his family. Even when we were dead in, trust, in trespasses. Okay, this is our, this is our condition. Um, you know, we don't like to maybe necessarily realize it, but God is boss, whether we believe in Him or not. He already has every right to deal with us as subjects and servants. And let's, and let's face it. Um, if God is judging me based on what I've done, overwhelmingly, the verdict is you're fired. You're done. Not worthy. Even when you were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This is how He did it. This is how He brought us into His family. He made us alive in Christ. This is amazing grace. This is what we've been talking... This is what Pastor's been talking about for for weeks. And if you can get nothing else out out of this... In Christ, we are in the family of God. Let's continue on because a lot of times we we like to think, you know, okay, I'm saved. That's it. Verse 6, And raised us up together and made us sit together together. In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Grace is a relationship changer. This grace that He offers through His Son Jesus Christ completely changes your relationship with Him. It's not about works, it's not about what we can do, it's not about what He can do, it's not not about what we can do for Him, it's about what He has done for us. You remember, remember that image of Christ that we talked about, that, that we covered in Revelation? Remember that image, that, that powerful image? If you are in Christ, if you are in the family of God, that's your big brother. Think about that. You have become a son of God. You have become a joint heir with Christ. And then verse 7, and, and this, is, this is maybe my favorite part about grace, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Okay, when I was born into the Durga household, mom and dad didn't just go, hooray, it's a boy, all right, on with life as usual. No, that, the birth was great, but it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. And really, the best part is yet to come. All right. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. This is the central part. This is the key. This is the most important part. Grace isn't something that we've worked for. It isn't something that we've earned. It's something that God has offered to us freely. And he's offered it through his son, Jesus Christ. Our response to that is faith is taking God at his word like the israelites who would who looked to that bronze serpent that they might be healed in the same way we look to jesus christ because he is the person who has brought our salvation and now we're going to jump right in this is the verse that I, that I really wanted to cover because we are talking about legalism today. And legalism, as I defined it, is, try, is trying to keep God's law in order to earn your salvation or keep your salvation. So, verse 9. I'm going to read verse 8 with it because that's the way we quote it all the time. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I think I've already hammered on this a lot, but we should hammer on it again. It's not about our works. It's about the relationship that we have. Just like there is no amount of work, there is no amount of doing, there is nothing that would make me a part of the Anderson family, and also there's really nothing that would ever happen or could ever happen to make me not mom and dad's son whether I'm a good son or a bad son. Think about that. Now, I don't want to let us off the hook, and so we include verse 10 in here. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Maybe let's let us see this a, a different way. I was born a Durga, but I didn't always act like a Durga. It took time and a lot of patience on the part of my parents for me to begin to act Like a Durga, every task, every chore, every job, uh, every request that they had of me moved me farther along for me to be conformed into the image of what it means to be a Durga. Now, I've messed up. I've messed up bad. In fact, if I was a hired hand... I probably would have been fired. But I'm not a hired hand. I'm the son. I am related to them through blood. Now, I say all this because, and you know, we've, this is, for a lot of us, this is a review. Maybe it's new for, for some of you. Um, but I go o- over all of this because I, I wanted to show you the danger of legalism. The ultimate you know, danger of legalism is that we are seeing God only in a position of boss and not as father. The ultimate danger the ultimate concern for someone who is trying to be good enough? Well, I think Jesus himself said it best. This is Matthew 7, uh, verses 21 through 23. Listen carefully, because this is the ultimate danger of legalism. This is where legalism can lead. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. At this point, people would be thinking, ah, do, right. This is a Jewish audience that Jesus himself is speaking to. Okay, do the will of God. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work, you who practice lawlessness. This is the ultimate danger of legalism. This is the ultimate danger of thinking that we can somehow earn our salvation, that we can some, that, that our, uh, our works somehow add something to the grace of God. Now, I want you to think for a moment. Think about the best person you know, the best. I decided to use somebody that probably everyone has heard of, Mother Teresa. Now, I, I think there's hardly a person alive that, probably, that doesn't know the name of Mother Teresa and the work that she did with the sick and the dying and, and the orphans and just a tremendous amount of good works. But I want us to be clear on just one thing. If Mother Teresa did not accept the gift of God's grace, if she did not accept what Jesus Christ did for her on the cross, then all these good works that she has done, they don't profit her anything. Why? It's because of the relationship think about that it is because of the relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ that we are going to be a part of, that we are a part of God's family i don't know where you are in your lives spiritually I don't know if you have already trusted Jesus Christ as your personal savior and you know if you have great welcome to the family. Remember, we're a family. We're not perfect, but we are family. If you haven't though, if you have decided you know what? I just I'm okay with God being my boss and only my boss. I don't want that relationship with him. I don't want to get close to him. The danger is that if all you want is for God to be boss, or even if you don't want him to be boss, the danger is that that is what he is going to be. Let's look at Romans 6.23 again. This is our last verse for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our lord if you're here today and if if you're thinking i'm good enough to get into heaven doesn't matter how many good things we've done, if we've done anything to offend God, that earns us the wages of death. And ultimately, the ultimate disobedience of God is not trusting in His Son, Jesus Christ, not accepting the gift the grace that has been given you through Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here, and you think, you know, I have done so much wrong. I have so much sin, so much filth in my life. I, there's no way that God can save me. My answer to both sides is this, your relationship with Christ your relationship with God is not based on what you do or what you don't do. It's based on what you have done with Jesus Christ. Have you accepted him or have you rejected him? If you find yourself here and you are part of the family of God, remember that you're his workmanship. Remember that dad has work for you to do. Dad has things that he wants you to be doing. Uh, Isn't it funny how a lot of times, whether it be farms or businesses or what have you, the kids usually work harder than, than the hired hand. But that's the way it should be because we've got an inheritance. We have an inheritance from God himself. Let's close in a word of prayer. Um, Normally, I'd close with a blessing, but if you understand grace today, I think that's probably blessing enough. And if you haven't accepted God's free gift of Jesus Christ, I plead with you, that's the blessing we would most like you to have. Let's pray. Father, thank you so very much for your son. Thank you so very much that, that you give us the opportunity to be placed in your family and that it's not about what we have done or what we haven't done. That that you knew us you you created us father you knew that we wouldn't be able to do work to to work to be good enough to be to be uh, to to earn our way into your family and so you sent your son father and thank you thank you for that amazing grace that you've given us father help us Help us to focus on your grace. Help us, to, help us to focus on the fact that we are part of your family. And, Dad, you're, you're still boss. You always will be. And thank you that we can, can come to you now not only as a boss, but with you as our Father. Please show us what you want us to do. Please show us how to be a family united. And please show us others that you are wanting to bring into your family, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Uh, Do we have a closing song?